Hello and welcome to A Life in Music with Russell Scott. This podcast is dedicated to all you performers out there who want to be the very best you can be. Whether you're just starting out, a budding professional, just love performing, or have been professionally working in the industry for years, this podcast will help you be the very best. Thank you for joining us today, and don't forget you can check out the website, alifeinmusic.com. Now, without further ado, please welcome the man himself. With over 35 years professional performance experience, 100,000 record sales behind him, and a career spanning the worlds of classical music and musical theatre, on film, on television, on radio, and on stage, this is A Life in Music with Russell Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Life in Music with Russell Scott, the podcast that is dedicated to all you performers out there who want to be the very best you can be. Now, in my career, I've had the pleasure of doing a vast array of different types of performances, from recordings to film soundtracks, for concerts, for shows, musical theatre shows, all sorts of things. And one of the things I've done quite a lot of is session singing, which involves doing Hollywood soundtracks, it can involve doing backing vocals for people, uh, big pop stars, recording artists, it can involve concert work, there's a lot of work it can uh, it can, it can bring in. And... Um, it's a, there's a great skill needed in doing this work, in particular in, in sight singing. And today I am thrilled to have on the show uh, a friend of mine and colleague, the director of Made of Vale Singers, an incredible group of freelance singers who are great musicians and great at what they do. So here we are. This is my interview with Chris D. Well, welcome, Chris D. Thank you. <laughs> That was a bit Tommy Cooper-like, wasn't it? It was a bit, yes. <laughs> Chris, um, I mean, I've, I've, I've mentioned uh, some of your accolades, but why don't you uh, sort of introduce yourself and sort of tell us how you how you got into this wonderful world of showbiz and entertainment? Well, um, my family were always musical. My father had a big band from the 30s to the 60s, and my mother was an amateur singer. So there was always music in the house. Um, my brother plus all of my sisters all played the piano my brother to quite a high level so I was surrounded by music so it seemed a natural um, course of events really and to any sort of style of music I mean did you did you sort of grow up with with more classical stuff or musical stuff was it a mix was it all the big band stuff or jazzy stuff what 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 sort of well from my dad it was big band yeah but uh, from the rest of the family, it was classical. So my brother and my sisters were always playing Beethoven sonatas on the piano. So um, I was surrounded by a mix, and I was interested in the mix. I wasn't particularly drawn to classical, but I wasn't particularly drawn to to jazz. But I, also, I was very young when my dad died, so the influence was there, but I wasn't really... Um, aware of the differences in style yeah so so did you uh, did you start singing at what very early age or did you start on piano like the rest of the family or how did it all start musically for you well i started singing in school um and i found that um i found that it was well accepted so um so I continued singing, and then I tried uh, different musical instruments. So I started off with the, the cello, which I gave up because I was making a horrible buzzing noise, which I now found out <laughs> is the right sound to make on a cello. Um, so I tried violin, I didn't like that, and then I tried percussion. But I was avoiding percussion because, although I was interested in it, it's what my brother was doing. Right. And I didn't want to follow my brother because he's very successful as a percussionist right you want to be unique as well yes uh, but i found that i really took to, to percussion so i then continued playing percussion and singing 
Okay. And and how did that sort of evolve into a career? I mean, obviously that started at school and everything, but how did that end up becoming very serious? Well, we were very lucky in South Wales that there was a lot of money put into the arts at the time. So there were loads of music courses. So if I wasn't in school, I was on an orchestral course, on a wind band course, a brass band course, uh, a choral course, a chamber choir course, a folk music course, or an arts company course. Because um, in the end, our the county put on the first production of the Bernstein Mass in this country. Wow. Wow, that's amazing um, Which piece. is an incredible piece, yeah. but it's an incredible feat. So it brought together the orchestra and the um, the choirs, plus the, the people who were starting to do solo work, plus the arts company of uh, dance courses. So it brought everybody together. Wow. And so did, did, was, it, was it just sort of a natural progression for you to get into this professionally or did you, make, did you have to make a choice between this and a, and a serious job? <laughs> um, it really is a calling. Um, I wish I'd gone for a serious job because there'd be <laughs> decent money. Yes. Um, but I just had to do this. Yeah. Uh, that, there was no doubt in my mind. I was interested in other things. I was interested in uh, hotel work and hospitality. And bizarrely enough, I was interested in woodwork. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know quite how, where I would have gone with that. But uh, I would have probably made more money as a carpenter than I, I ever make as a singer. But you, you know, you were Welsh and Welsh people have amazing voices, let's face it. Well, it's either that or rugby, and I was hopeless at rugby, so I had to go to singing. <laughs> Me too. I was too worried about getting hurt, I think. Too much of a yeah. wimp for rugby. But I think I think you're right. I mean, so many so many people I've spoken to, and 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 for me as well. I, you know, music is in my soul. It's it it is your calling. It's it. I I don't know how to do anything else that makes me realise that that's what I do in life. Um, yes. And that's yeah. and I, and I think that's that's the same for for many artists, whether it be in singing or dancing or acting or you know painting or whatever that may be. Yes, and also. Um... I was getting a real a real buzz from music, which I still get. And um, very early on, I competed in uh, a localised Stedford. They have these singing competitions all around Wales. Um, and they, they're in the in the rest of the UK as well, but they're really um, focused in Wales. So there'll be one nearly every weekend in the local uh, community. And I took part, uh, trained by my music teacher in school, and I was, I caught the attention of the local singing teacher, whose pupils were always mopping up all the prizes. So she asked me if I had a singing teacher, and I said no, and offered to give me lessons. And that's how it started, really. Yeah. And and then was it easy to, to break into the business? I mean, you've done so much stuff in your career. I mean, you've sung in pop bands. You've, you know, you, you've, you've been on film soundtracks. You do a lot of acting now as well. I know you played a dead body recently. <laughs> yes, you eventually found my calling. <laughs> it was more difficult than, than I thought. You're really <laughs> conscious of your breathing when you're a dead body. <laughs> it's a bit like singing. So the singing did help me become a dead body in a Hollywood film. <laughs> How much acting do you do now? So, so so, what is the split between the acting and the singing? Um, the acting, is, uh, it's a series of one-offs. So um, it's freelance, so it works really well with the singing. So basically I get offered work and I can accept it or, or turn it down. So it's a really good filler. It's my shacking... Uh, it's my stacking shelves at Sainsbury's. <laughs> so um, I've never been interested in teaching singing one-to-one. -one. I love working with professionals and I love tweaking uh, wonderful techniques and, and playing around with voices and um, trying to get something out of a professional singer that they, they didn't know was there. 
And is that is that I, something I, that's come to, just come to you through working in the in the business professionally, or did you actually train to do that directly? Because for some of us, I mean, I, I didn't I didn't go to music college, um, but yet I've I've had a you know an amazing career to date of doing all sorts of things and run you know workshops all over the country. And so and some people go that route straight into performance at an early age, and some people go through the colleges and 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 work their way through there and then get degrees and so on and so forth. Which which route did you take? Well, I took the classical route, so I went to music college and studied, uh, I did a joint course in percussion and singing. I thought you were going to say woodwork then. <laughs> yeah, that was close. <laughs> um, and then, because, believe it or not, uh, my voice was very very fragile when it broke. Um, it slid down as opposed to broke. Uh, I believe when my brother's voice broke, he yodeled for about six months. <laughs> but that didn't happen to me, and it broke very late. I think it, I was about 17 wow. when it broke. So it started sliding. Um, so I didn't want to study as a full-time singer at the age of 18 because I didn't feel that my voice was ready yeah. and settled and was ready to be trained. So I did this joint course in percussion and singing. And then when I'd done three years in Cardiff, I then went to Guildhall to study singing um solely um but whilst i was at Guildhall, i was all i always had this interest in lighter music but they never teach you anything to do with lighter music in the music colleges it's different now and the, there are musical theater courses but there weren't at the time so i was going to uh piano bars at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> and singing while everybody else was drunk to use to get used to using a microphone because they didn't teach you microphone technique. Yeah, yeah, which is that. one of the things I I occasionally do now in the music colleges. I do master classes, and part of that is microphone technique. Yeah, and it's amazing how even on drama courses they still don't really teach you how to use a microphone. Yeah, it never it never ceases to to amaze me just how many of the techniques that we use in the professional world are still not being trained, including that of sight reading. And sight singing is, is, is difficult, but once you've learnt it, the more you do it, the better you become at it. And yet they, st and, and, and it's so needed if you want to do session work or film work or, you know, if you, if you'll need to be called as a singer at a, a very short notice. And yet they still don't teach this in, in drama and music colleges. No, they just want you to go out from the from the drama schools. They want you to go out and and be in a musical. From the music colleges, they want you to go out and be an opera singer. Yeah. So really, there's nothing in between. Yeah. So when when I put together uh, Maidenville singers, I drew people from different backgrounds, but people who were musical enough to cross the borders, so classical singers who could lighten their sound, who could take off the vibrato, who could um, use a head voice, which they'd never been asked to use because classical singers just get trained to project yep. and fill the four corners of, of the theatre yep. yep. or the, the concert hall. But then uh, musical theatre singers who had a bit of a legitimate technique so that when they sing, they can put volume and depth into their singing so that they've got a wider range. Because now in music colleges, or rather in musicals, especially in the West End, everybody's on mic. Yeah. So they only need to, to sing in a very narrow uh, spectrum and everything gets done on the, on the mixing desk. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I've, I had a I had a, a funny way in as well, because I, I didn't train uh, in sight singing either. And I um, I got my experience by just doing it. I mean, I, I, I studied music privately and, uh, you know, did, 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 that, did that route. So I could read music, but sight singing was very different. And I remember when I joined the London Philharmonic Choir, which was the first, first decent choir I ever sang in, um, and I went for my audition and they gave me some sight reading. I looked at it and thought, 
holy crap, how do I do that? And actually, I just did it because it was it was instinct. It was seeing, listening to the harmonics, seeing that how, you know, where something goes up, where something goes down. And then being five years in that choir taught me how to read music and how to sight sing. And then, of course, I had the opportunity of 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 um, doing doing classical work professionally as a soloist and, and with and with choirs. And then, in fact, that's where we met. I mean, we met working with the Jeffrey Mitchell Choir, I think. I mean, I've known, I've known you yes. now nearly almost 20 years and it takes somebody i mean i was very young when i started doing that i mean i was probably in my early 20s and um I, you know it needed someone like like jeffrey to give me a break of, of doing stuff like that and then you meet other people like-minded and so on and you get more opportunities and then i went and, and into i went into the um into the church i did i did four and a half years singing um in a church choir uh, on a Sunday morning, it's the best way of sight learning sight singing in your life. I wasn't great when I started, and it I got much better very quickly. But it was the only way; it was the only route for me to really learn how to sight sing well was to just get in and do it at a very high level. And I think a lot of people get frightened by that, and if they're not trained to do it, they kind of just shy off from it, and they end up um, losing out. I think on opportunities that could help their career going forward. Yes, uh, you were very lucky because you've got a true bass voice. There are very few um, true basses in musical theatre for a start, but that got you the break into the Jeffrey Mitchell yep. choir. If yep. you'd been just another baritone, I didn't, don't think you would have got the work because the, he would he goes for the readers and the readers tend to come through the um, Oxford and Cambridge... Yep. Know, the the lay clerks absolutely that and everyone who comes out on Oxford and Cambridge who've been in their choirs are fantastic readers yeah however they there are big limits to what they are able to do now you were able to get the work because you were a base and there aren't that many bases and then once you started working people could see what you were doing yeah. and could see how good you were so it then snowballed yeah but it it's all it's all getting the breaks. It is getting the breaks. It's getting the opportunities, and it's all and about just, the breaks. It's all about it. You've got you've got to meet people, and it, it is you know although there are hundreds of people all t dying to get all this limited amount of work out there, it really is quite yeah. a small niche um, area of people that can actually just step in and sight read something and go and do something. So and that sort of leads us on to talking about Maida Vale singers and who I, you know, I have enormous respect for and, and have I've been very fortunate and uh, to, to work with you on a number of uh, number of projects. Um, and likewise, I was I was, again, very fortunate to, to have you involved in, in Godspell, which I produced a couple of years ago um, at the Lyric Theatre on Shaftesbury Avenue. So tell me sort of how that all came about. How did you start putting Maida Vale singers together? Why did you do it? It, and what do you what do you love about it? Well, I've been doing session work for quite a time, and I worked with all of the bookers, um, but they all had their own specialisms, really. Um, and one of them was Stephen Hill, and his specialism was musical theatre and uh, pop work as well, but really musical theatre. And then Stephen uh, gave up booking and went to concentrate on teaching and did a marvellous job um, on the musical theatre course at the Academy. So he really found a niche that, that he preferred. So he moved into that and stopped booking. In the interim, um, other bookers were picking up the, the work that Stephen used to do, which was musical theatre. But these other bookers were really classical. And although they were incredibly musical, they really didn't understand the genre, in my humble opinion. And I worked for these bookers. And we did, you know, we did all of the musicals that came up. Uh, there were lots for the BBC at the time. Um, and lots for with different orchestras. But I found that I, I was turning up for, for sessions with, in my opinion, the wrong singers. Not all of the wrong singers, but some of the wrong singers. Now, I know now that that it's really important to mix voices and to get classical people who can do musical theatre and lighter people who can 
make a bigger sound. But I, I thought that the, that the middle area of musical theatre really wasn't being covered properly. So it, increasingly, I turn up on these sessions and think, these are the wrong people. It should be so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. All the singers were about, but they weren't necessarily being used in the right way for the lighter music. And this went on for about four or five years. And also I felt, um, I, I felt, ooh, I can't think of the word. Uh, I felt a responsibility to Stephen. Um, I didn't know if he was going to continue uh, booking or not. And then it got to a point and I thought he has definitely stopped booking. Um, and then an opportunity arose where I heard that the BBC singers were double booked for um, for two concerts, one of them being um, Side by Side by Jerome Kern and the other one being Rachmaninoff Vespers. Now, <laughs> Rachmaninoff Vespers is exactly the BBC singers' bag. Yeah. And they were doing... They were another group that were doing this lighter music, but all the notes were there. They were doing exactly what was written, but it wasn't stylistically correct, in my opinion. So I put um, I put a proposal to the BBC for me to start my own group. I'd worked with the BBC a lot through various bookers, so people knew what I could do. And I said, if this works, you've discovered another group. If it doesn't work, don't book me again. <laughs> um, it obviously worked. Unfortunately, <laughs> at the time, the, the concert I put in for was with um, a very good but very touchy American conductor, musicologist called John McGlynn. And they would, the BBC wouldn't make this decision. And they said, we can't, not with John McGlynn. We'll have to put the decision to John McGlynn. So they sent my proposal to him. Fortunately, about six months previously, I had done a job with John McGlynn and I'd done a tiny solo in it. But I found a mistake in the, in the music. Um, and discussed it with John um, and he remembered that and he said to the BBC yes let's try out uh, this guy and, and see what he comes up with. And why, and why Maid of Vale singers? Well um, I live in Maid of Vale and I did want a subliminal connection with the BBC and the, there's the Maid of Vale studios. Of course yeah. I mean, I, I have I have enormous respect uh, for you, Chris, and, and because I, you know, in, I, I agree. I mean, you 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 have you do have this talent of bringing the right people together for projects, without any doubt. And some of the projects I've I've worked with you have been some of the highlights of my career. I mean, it's just you know they 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 they're incredible experiences. And I've worked for uh, indeed myself. I've worked for all of the fixers, just about all the fixers out there as well, all the bookers, and they do. You know, sometimes they get it right, sometimes they don't. And I think there's a lot, and I'm going to be quite open about this, I think, uh, there's there's a lot of rivalry. And I think there are a lot of... Uh, a lot of a lot of bookers have their favourites, the people they like to use, their close friends. I mean, you know, that that's that's instinctive, and I think that's what you would do if you know you always want to use the people that you like and that you're closest to, and, and everything else. But I'm I'm much more objective than than that in life, and I think I think you are to a degree as well. In that we, yeah, of course, you 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 like to use uh, the same sort of people for the projects because they're tried and tested, and you know what they'll deliver, and you know they're right because you've got it right on previous projects. And then you you do bring in other people from time to time that whether you know sometimes availability is is is, a, is key and sometimes it's because you want a different sound, but I think first and foremost in my belief if I were putting a group together it would be about the music about the sound and about what needs to be delivered for what the you know what you're being engaged to do. Well, that is a decision I had to make right at the beginning. If I'm going to start my own group, how am I going to do it? 
Um, and I decided the only way that I would be interested in doing it is to get the right people for the right job, for each job. So um, I've got a database of over 500 singers, but I still, every single job, I look at, at the music and see what the demands of the music are or is, and then look at my singers and I pick the the best people for that job. Yeah, and I think that's that's the right way and the the right way to do it. And and you know, not not you know, I, I don't I don't want to to make this into something bigger about you know rivalry between bookers etc etc. I I don't mean to sound it sounded like that, but my my respect goes to you because I I, I know you do it that way. And I'm not I've not always been convinced just as a singer, forget my producer hat, but just as a singer, I'm not have never always been convinced that every booker works in exactly the same way. And, you know, there are some amazing projects out there. You know, there's there's lots of film soundtracks. There's lots of recordings. There's lots of backing vocals. There's lots of other jobs out there. And different different bookers are different are, are getting different jobs and they've got their relationships formed with different alliances and so on uh, and organizations and so on. But I, I, I don't think everybody gets it right every time. Have you have you ever had any disasters? You say that. I couldn't possibly say that. <laughs> I had to ask a question. Did you ever get it wrong? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, very few times touch wood, but I learn from my mistakes. Um, I have no idea how I do it. Um, it really is instinct. It's not something that's been taught. Um, it's it's a gut feeling. Um, and yes, I have got it wrong. I can think of, of one instance, but I was able to cover it very, very quickly. Um, Are you going to tell us what happened? Uh, <laughs> Without names? It, it wouldn't really make sense to anybody Okay, else. fine. <laughs> but it's just um, because everything, because the way I work is instinct, um, I've tried, I've tested my instinct by going with my gut all the time. So I make a decision. Um, I'm quick at making decisions. I don't faff around, contrary to popular belief. Um, <laughs> I make a decision, but if if I then think it's a wrong decision, I will reverse it. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, people um, will respect me for that. Yeah. I mean, and the... think, okay, right. He's he's made a mistake, but he's owned up to it, and now he's correcting it. Yeah. But you're incredibly, incredibly musical anyway, because as a singer, you're not just an administrator that books singers. You're not a recruitment consultant. You are a singer yourself, and you sing in 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 the in the Made of L singer projects that, that that you do. And I think uh, not always. I, not always. No, not always. I have actually uh, booked some things where I have not booked myself because I wasn't the best person for the job. Yeah, and I think that's uh, and that's what I that's what I've. Um, quoted to friends who I haven't been able to book for work. Yeah. I mean, it's that was the biggest thing when I started. Was I had lots and lots of really good friends in this industry, and I was doing projects that some of my friends weren't suitable for. So for the first few years, some of my friends who are professional singers didn't work for me, and they they resented it i'm sure they did i mean i think i think you automatically think because you know someone and you're friendly with them that you're going to get booked and it doesn't all it doesn't always work that way and i i'm the same i wouldn't book somebody if i didn't think they were right whether they were my best friend a family member or otherwise if they're not yeah. right for something they're not right for something and you can't take the risk of compromising quality of the production that you're you're putting on for the sake of you know nepotism or whatever it may be yeah or bias towards towards friends and family or whoever it might be. How how difficult is it to get on your books, for example, or any or any fixers' books? How difficult is it? And what 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 do people need to do if they really want to be considered for something that you're doing? Well, I think now it's virtually impossible uh, because the work has dwindled considerably. Um, as you say, people are not being taught sight reading. They're not being taught 
classically in school so they don't get into the habit of reading music. Some people just don't read music. Uh, a couple of my fantastic friends in musical theatre can never work for me because they can't read music. Yeah. And whereas when I started, we did a season with, uh, with Stephen Hill singers of um, a musical a month for the BBC. It was brilliant. We had a week's rehearsal, and at the end we did a full musical. We did some fantastic musicals, including um, Mame, Jesus Christ Superstar, a chorus line, a, co a chorus line on the radio with tap dancing, which was brilliant. But now we're lucky if we get two rehearsals before before a musical. Why Why has the work dwindled? I mean, it, obviously that's affecting everybody across the board, not just Made of Ale singers. Well, yes. why, why has it dwindled? Is it because of the cost implications or is it something else? It's primar primarily the cost. Uh, the BBC had huge cuts and, you know, for 10 years, every year, there'd be huge budget cuts. And the first thing that went were professional choruses. Hmm. They would keep the orchestras. They would keep the soloists, but Friday night is music night. You used to have a professional chorus every single Friday. In fact, I would turn up, there were a, a, a small group of us that would turn up each week. And one week we'd be the Nigel Brooks singers. The next week we'd be Serenata Voices. The week <laughs> after we'd be Stephen Hill singers. Um, and every, you know we would turn up at least three times out of four for different groups. I mean, what worries me is that is that if if uh, if the work's dwindling, okay, there will always be some work around. But if if people aren't being trained to sight sing, you know, we're all going to get older in another twenty or thirty years. Uh, if there aren't enough young people coming up um, through you know through the schools and colleges and everything that can't sight read, um, what's going to happen? Well, that's why I spend a lot of time going around the music colleges and drama schools watching productions and spotting people. Um, but invariably, after the production, I'll go up and I'll talk to probably only about two or three people at most who I think are suitable for the group. And I'll be lucky if two of them read music, let alone are brilliant sight readers. Yeah. Now, going on to something else, have you, uh, have you ever done a, a West End run yourself? Um, not on stage. Um, I've, I've done West End, well, I suppose I, I did it as part of Dolly Cart. So we did, um, what did we do in the West End? We did, um, oh, <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> that uh, one. <laughs> the first season we did Pirates and Ilanthi, and the second season we did uh, Mikado and... Yeoman of the Guard. So we brought one of those seasons to London, to the Cambridge Theatre. Um, and I've done things like the vocal booth at Starlight Express, which I did for eight years. Um, but the only major thing I've done on the stage was the Bernstein Mass, bizarrely enough, right. Right. where I did the first ever professional um, production of it down in Worthing. Did you not? Um, did you not want to to do the eight shows a week thing? Was it just not your bag, or was it not the opportunities not there, or or what? Um, I didn't get into them. I auditioned. I got after. Funny enough, after the mass, there was a, an agent there, and they took me on. But um, I hadn't been trained properly as a musical theatre singer. I'd been right. trained classically, so. When I went into auditions, I stood there and I sang my heart out, but it wasn't right for musical theatre. And in fact, there was um, one MD who I was in college with, bizarrely enough, when I was a percussionist and he was a viola player. And he's now quite a major MD. And I auditioned not knowing it was him because I'd changed my name for equity and he changed his name for equity. <laughs> and he called me down afterwards and he said, um, I'd love you. I'd love to have you in this chorus. We really need a good tenor. However, uh, your singing is too classical. 
you are singing out, which is marvellous, you know, in big choruses. But he said your voice would stand out. Yeah, because I met—I mean, I met you as as I, as I said earlier, almost twenty years ago—and it was doing it was doing opera recordings. Yeah. So what's changed? Because obviously you've gone into the musical theatre stuff, and your and Maida Vale singers primarily do the the, the musical theatre uh, and film recording, uh, film film uh, productions and things. So what's what's changed uh, in your own singing um, that 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 has made that all possible? Mark Warman. Okay. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Um, I started doing a series called uh, The Forgotten Musicals, uh, which was put together by Ian Marshall Fisher. And Mark Warman was uh, the MD for the first few. And we did, the first thing we did was a, a wonderful musical called Fanny, which for some reason didn't work either side <laughs> of the Atlantic. Um, but after that, we did a Bernstein. We did... Um, we did Trouble in Tahiti, which was, because it's quite short, was one half. And then we did lesser-known Bernstein uh, songs and, and duets in the other half. And I was working with that with Mark. And he started retraining my voice and telling me that what I was doing was too safe and that it had to sound dangerous, It there, there had to be different colours in it, and he he brought all that out for me. So basically technique was, was key. Yes, yeah. Because obviously you had an amazing voice to start with, you obviously had all the classical background and the ability to do it, and you had classical technique. It was just a case of knowing and understanding how to apply it in a different genre. Yeah, so it was a combination of Mark plus Stephen Hill, because when I was working with Stephen, we were doing, you know, when we did Friday Night is Music Night, we would do um, a bit of Elgar, we would do the Hallelujah Chorus, and then we'd be singing one singular sensation. You know, yeah. <laughs> you had to change your voice. Yeah. And I learned from sitting next to people who were much better than me and listening. You, you can never stop learning by oh, no. you know listening is the the biggest thing of all. I mean, to this day, you know, you've you've been in this industry a very long time as I have. I mean, in thirty five years, I still listen to people every single time I work with people, and it doesn't matter whether they're a singer or a musician or a conductor or. Uh, or a, or a stagehand it doesn't matter who it is I'm always watching and I'm learning and I'm picking things up and I'm understanding because I do, you, you can never know everything and you can never know too much no no knowledge is key absolutely key you've done a bit of pop work as well haven't you uh, I have yes a couple of bits of pop backing and um, uh, my life has always been very interesting as my mother would say so um, she was always uh, surprised at uh, decisions I made. Um, I think she would have preferred me to go into a nice, comfy job in banking rather than into the precarious work of, of a musician like my father. But uh, it was the, the direction I was going. But I didn't want to limit myself. So if an opportunity came up and I thought it... I was suitable for it. I went for it. And this opportunity came up um, via Melody Maker. I just saw uh, I, I saw this audition and went along. And uh, eventually I got the job. For? Well, um, it was for a group that was unknown at the time. Okay. Um, and they were called Erasure. <laughs> um, I've been waiting for that bit. <laughs> I'd never heard. I'd never heard of them. It was just some pop group. They needed a singer. They needed. Um, they needed a backing singer, but they also needed a choreographer, and they needed someone who could play percussion. Well, I'd done dance training as well, so I thought, oh well, I've got all three of these. I'll go on audition, and they desperately didn't want me. They tried their best not to book me, but in the end. <laughs> Because at the time I was in a review in the West End with um, my what I call my theatrical sister, Janie D. And um, I had long hair, beard and a moustache. Well, <laughs> if anyone's ever seen Erasure, that's not really the look that they go not for. Not really. 
And whilst they hadn't established a look, that was the look that they were, that their final look is the look that they were going for. So um, I did the audition, rang back a week later when they were supposed to give the results, and they said, um, we haven't decided yet, but you're the best person we've seen. We'll, we'll, we've got a few more people to see. And then they did more auditions, and then I rang them again, and they said, uh, we can't find anyone better than you, but we're still looking, which I thought, <laughs> oh, this is the way this industry is going to go. And eventually they couldn't find anyone who could do what was required because Andy Bell has a very peculiar voice and he can flip octaves um, and and did. And he wrote all his backing. He did all his own backing initially. Wow. So yeah. it was really weird and disjointed and they couldn't get pop singers to do it and they couldn't get classical. Well, classical singers wouldn't really go for it. Um, but it's something I could do. So eventually they gave me the job and I cut off my hair, my beard and my moustache, much to the surprise of, of both Andy and Vince. You have to do what you have to do, don't you? Yeah. And I think what... what... I admire about you, Chris. One of the things I admire about you <laughs> um, is that that you're you're quite modest about everything you've done. You, I mean, you've done a lot of things. You've you know you've had a quite a quite a prolific career, doing such a wide range of different genres of music and working with some incredible people. And to me, you're someone that that, that and I'd like to say, like myself, has the feet firmly on the ground. You never know what's around the corner. You never know what's going to happen next. You never know if you're going to, you know, you, you hope you're going to be working for the next 20 years. You never quite know what's going to happen in this industry. What advice would you give people that are sort of starting out that want, want a career in this business as, as maybe a session singer, as a, um, as a, as a, as a backing vocalist? Um, or, want, or wants to make it make it in the big time. I mean, what would you, what would you advise? Don't do it. I was waiting for those three words. If you can do <laughs> anything else, anything else, do that. If you can't do anything else, or you refuse to do anything else, then pursue your dream. Yeah. Who who inspired you? Who inspired you to pursue your dream? Uh, probably my dad. Yeah. Although I was 10 when he died. Um, I mean, he had a, a full-time job um, as a clerk in the steelworks. But he had this his big band. And um, every evening, you know, he'd come back, he'd, he'd change, have dinner. Then he'd go out and the band would be playing somewhere. And he absolutely lived for the band and the other work was the work to um enable him to play with the band yeah and presumably you you, you saw him many times working in um not many times but um enough especially in my formative years you know uh yeah. that it, it made um an indelible mark i suppose yeah yeah. How you you must have some incredible memories over the years. What are your sort of to date because it, it's not over, far from over, but what to date what are your sort of big career highlights? What are the things that you sort of if you had to list a top 3 of the most amazing projects you've done? I'm sure there have been many, but could you are there any up there that you'd say that was absolutely a wow moment? Well, as a performer, um before I went into the management side, it has to be the Bernstein Mass because I, I played the lead in it. And at the time, the, and this was another reason I wasn't getting work in musical theatre, leads in shows were always handsome romantic leads. There were very few shows which had any um, male leads that, that weren't handsome. And one of the one of the crits I used to get back to my agent was, he looks character, but he sounds like a lead. <laughs> How do you take that? <laughs> well, now I use that uh, as an example when I'm when I'm doing masterclasses, and I tell people, you know, you have to find out 
you have to identify your qualities. Now it's different because there are lots of shows where you know there are geeks playing the lead or really weird characters. You know uh, things like Spring Awakening. Every everyone in the in the show are individuals. Yeah. But in my day, uh, it was a romantic lead was somebody tall, dark, and handsome, and yeah. I didn't fit into that at all. So the Bernstein Mass was a complete. Um, it was exactly right for me because it had a very wide vocal range, especially going down. It goes down to a bottom E flat. And there are very few tenors who have a, a bottom yeah. range. Yeah. Um, plus, it used um, classical, it used jazz, it used pop, it used all the different genres that I liked singing in, in one um, one role, which was why it was so hard to, to cast in the first place. So that, that was the perfect um, piece for me. And was very well received, um, but unfortunately, led didn't lead anywhere because then I was going up for musicals as a lead, and they were looking at me and thinking, "Oh no, he's not. He's not a lead. He's a character." Yeah. yeah. But with Maidwell singers, um, I suppose one of the there are two things that really stand out. The first one is the very first. Um, concert we did, uh, which turned out to be a prom with the John Wilson Orchestra. That MGM prom was one of the most thrilling things I've ever done on stage, um, and also was echoed by a lot of of very seasoned performers that I'd booked yep. to do it. I remember a couple of people coming up to me, one in particular, who has done everything in this industry. And he said, that was one of the most thrilling times I've had on stage when we weren't singing, just sitting there listening to that brilliant orchestra. And it was yeah. an absolute pleasure to be part of it. And What's the orchestra that? is of such a high standard that the singers raised their standard and the orchestra was so buzzed the players have come up to me and said this, that they were so um, so excited by the, the vocal sound that they lifted their game as well. So it was, yeah. it really was two fantastic groups um, on, on the top of their form. It was amazing. I mean, I, I remember I was fortunate enough to, to, to do that project as well. And I, I just remember the excitement on stage and just the adrenaline uh, because I don't think any of us had heard anything like it before and had the opportunity of performing those huge numbers with a hundred piece orchestras of that elk. Um, it was it was just extraordinary. It, it really was, was an amazing time. And the other one is when we worked with Danny Elfman. Um, this project came came together and it was uh, Danny Elfman's music from the from the films of Tim Burton. So it was music from everything from Frankenweenie to Big Fish to um, Edward Scissorhands. Um, and it was brilliant. It was very interesting working with Danny Elfman anyway, because he's an extraordinary character. But um, the conductor, we, we, were, we were part of the, the whole process of putting this together. It was, it was a world premiere, it was at the Albert Hall. And uh, it was very, very interesting. Um, you know, we did a, a short tour of it as well. But, but the process was almost, uh, was definitely as interesting, if not even more interesting than the end result. Well, long may these memories continue because yes. there are, you know, that's that we some these projects are amazing, and I hope oh, I hope there are many more. And we've done loads of things like this at the Albert Hall. I mean, I've I've regarded as my second home now, which is which is <laughs> wonderful. And I don't get blasé as soon as I walk on stage. You still get the buzz and yeah. all the rest. But that concert with um, with Danny Elfman was like a pop gig with an audience of 5,000. It absolutely, the, the screaming from the audience 
absolutely took the roof off the Albert Hall. Yeah, yeah, it rocked. It really did. It really did rock. And I think, I think these memories are great memories. And I think, I, I think quite rightly, I, I remember writing a blog about going on stage at the Albert Hall around the time of uh, of the prom uh, prom uh, earlier this year. Just, just that you, you I, I've also I've been on, on the stage there so many times, but you never take it for granted. You step out on the Albert Hall stage, and it feels like as, as exciting as the first time you ever did it. And I think, I think. It's it's fantastic to get that because I think some artists do get a little bit complacent, and I think um, I think there's a danger that those slightly fresher, more more adrenaline filled performers that are coming through are gonna start leaping leaping up and taking over because they're the ones that have got the passion. When I think I think if you start getting complacent in this business, I think that's when it starts uh, the downfall starts. Yes, yeah, I quite agree. Um, quite agree, Chris. It's been amazing talking to you today, and it's uh, you know you're, you're a real inspiration, and, and had a most incredible career, and given some really invaluable advice and tips. And it's great to hear about some of the behind the scenes stuffs and how how um, and how you started out and how you continue to uh, to work at the top of your game. So thank you, thank you so much uh, for for being on the program today. It's a pleasure. Well, that's it for today. Uh, that was the amazing Christopher D of Made Avails Singers. What an amazing career he's had and sharing with us all that really invaluable information uh, about being a fixer and how to get work and um, how, how to be a session singer, really, and, and, and knowing the industry and gaining the skills you need to do the job really, really well and to be able to get that work. Well, until next time, uh, please do check out the website at www.alifeinmusic.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to go to iTunes and review the show for me. It would really help me get to more people and to get to uh, give people more great advice and share with them all this amazing information and, uh, and share these interviews. So until next time, don't forget, be your very best. Hey!